healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. Welcome back, Golden Music Lovers, to an all-new year and all-new season, season 10 of your favorite music podcast in the world of Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual, and we are so happy to be here with you to talk about our shared obsession, our lifeblood, our reason for living, talking about Baby Yoda. No, I'm not. Uh, he's pretty cute, though. Uh, now, we're here to take you on a musical journey through the works of artists you may love, and hopefully some you've never heard of. For our new listeners, the show is and has always been less about simply reviewing an album and more about what the music contained within an album means to us, to you, to history, and to the universe, man. Sometimes it gets pretty heady, but more often than not... It's just dumb music nerd shit, a.k.a. the content you crave, which is why last year we partnered with Osiris Media, a like-minded network of music lovers that has great music podcasts like Casey Ray's Dead to Me, our friend Jonathan's Broke Down Pod, and just out in the world yesterday, or Monday, actually, uh, a great five-part discussion with the legendary David Crosby called Freak Flag Flying. You know this already because you check out Osiris pod.com daily and subscribe to all their podcasts including this one but if you don't get on that it's a way to live your best life in 2020 moving right along so for season 10 we wanted to do things a little differently here in a uh, few seconds you're going to hear myself and my good friend Eduardo Nunes discuss a little bit of our past and future on this show but it boils down to uh, music journalism at least in 2019 uh, it became mostly predictable and if you're doing said journalism, that actually gets pretty boring. And uh, we were, for uh, various reasons, throughout 2019, a little bored. Uh, it's the world, man. The world is <laughs> hard right now. But but so for possibly this final season, uh, which you'll hear us talk about a little more, uh, we're going to talk about stuff we love. And we're going to cover some big releases, sure, but we're going to try to focus on stuff like the album we're talking about today. In 1973, the legendary saxophonist Sonny Stitt made an album entitled Mr. Bojangles that on one hand pushes the boundaries of good taste and yet is one of the most satisfying listens in my record collection, Eduardo's record collection, maybe your record collection, or maybe you haven't heard of it, which in this case, in that case, you're in for a treat. The distance between those two extremes, though, is really what this show is about, so we're going to hit you. Uh, with the title track from this enigmatic album get you in the mood and then ed and i are going to dig in and try to figure out why this album with all of its faults and all of its offenses and all of its glory is one of our absolute all-time favorites uh, so that is uh discologist in a nutshell that is this episode of discologist uh if you're here for that then uh welcome let's get started if you're ready here's a little bit of mr boat jangles for you to chew on here's the title track Sunny Stitt, giving you what you crave. Mm-hmm. 
shit. Ah, shit. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Eduardo Nunes. Here I am. Superhero, survivor. Uh, I am glad you are on a mic again, sir. We uh, we couldn't do this at the end of the year because I think we all just sort of we all just sort of had it, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, it's like fuck, nothing matters. Sort of fucking whatever. Uh, and twenty uh, twenty nineteen packed a punch. Yeah, but twenty twenty is off to a good start. <laughs> um, but but it's something that um, I think we talked about when when we canceled that ep- episode was doing things a little differently this year. Uh, I don't know how many you've episodes these you've been on but it's probably between 200 and 250 it's it's, it's a fucking yeah. lot yeah it's a fucking lot and and we're going to i want to say it's the bulk of the series dude the bulk it, of the it, series yeah yeah I, th- I think you're right <laughs> uh i think you're right and and as we get head towards uh in this new season towards uh episode 500 that actually might be the last uh we've we've covered shit right <laughs> we've, yeah. we've done the thing and uh, and that was a realization I came to uh, towards the end, and I think our friend Ryan Walsh uh, sort of wrote an album in part about that, and he was the last one we did in 2019, talking to him. And yeah. I was just like, you know what? And that was that was an absolutely perfect conversation that you guys had. It's just oh, a, I, like I, a I, perfect I, I perfect compliment to a perfect was, recording. Yeah, it, it is a remarkable album. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. But it just uh, it was a reminder uh, in, in a shitty year. The, the there's everything is more important than what we're doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> to put it mildly, but this also has a level of importance um, for us, as you pointed out. You know, this gives people a launching point to uh, maybe discover new shit or maybe talk to other people. So, and that's yeah. why we do it. And, you know, we live in different cities now. Well, it's you know, I think um, uh, I've uh, I've talked to you about this a little bit, but I've sort of had a I've I've been struggling to connect with a lot of things yeah. in the world, including um, music, which I thought would be sort of a huge part of my recovery. And instead, it's kind of I'm just sort of struggling to find a way in. And one of the things, in addition to like missing music itself and that that sense of enjoyment, what I also don't have when I don't have music in my life is that sense of connection that yeah. music gives you to other people who also love music. And so it's kind of a kind of a double whammy and um but that's also why i'm really happy that we're talking about this album to kick off 2020 <laughs> because yeah 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 it is, is it is yeah. because, because the new direction was uh for people listening our stacks run deep and our g chats run dirty <laughs> and w- w- sometimes you come across an album like this that i can't remember why you recommended it but i don't remember if it was you were over at the house or you just like popped up in g chat have you heard this yeah i, I can but, tell you i can tell you when i became aware of this album because there's okay. it's, it's it's kind of a good story i was um listening to wpfw which is the pacifica radio uh, network uh, station in DC, and uh, they tend to play a lot of jazz, and it's some—it's just a station that I some you know I sort of check in on, and I hopped on, and it was the middle of uh, "World Is a Ghetto" off of this album, and I had this moment of just like, what am I listening to? And I, I you know, I recognized the song immediately, but I was like, is this a Grover Washington album that I haven't heard? What what is this?
And then, uh, and then I heard the DJ come on and announce uh, that it was Sonny Stitt, and I thought, well, that's not the Sonny Stitt that I know. The Sonny Stitt that I know is like a very straight-ahead bebop player. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of chased the album on account of that. I actually, and I think I told two people about it. I told you, and I told uh, a good friend of mine, Evan, who's sort of a jazz mentor to me. And Evan's immediate reply was, "Does Sonny Stitt think he's Grover Washington? Like, what happened on this record?" <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad he and I were, were in sync on that. But uh, but but I know that you immediately heard it too when you were like, "Buh, what this?" I, yeah, yeah. So th- <laughs> yeah. this this album, like, it, Mr. Bojangles comes out. That was the track you heard it coming into this, the title track on that. Uh, came comes out in 1973. Uh, I'm coming at this that I did not know Sonny Stitt was, and and the way, and and I've talked with Wes about this, who sadly couldn't be on uh, this episode, but he his statement was, I just want to know why the fuck you guys are talking about this. <laughs> Fair question. But, but I I come at jazz as whereas like I I absorb recommendations right. And and I don't uh, and it's the same way I, I handle like ambient and electronic music. I'm more interested in the mood it sets aside from certain players. I certainly have mm-hmm. uh, my handful of players, you know, like Grant Green, Hank Mobley, Miles. Everybody loves Miles, you know, shit like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and modern, you know, Kamasi, uh, Junius Paul, Mikhail McRaven. So, so you know, but as far as what we're talking about, the essentially golden era of recorded jazz, I, I I'm. It's just a big hole in my knowledge, but if you put it in front of me, I'm going to be like, yes, yeah, yeah, this is this is tight. Uh, and, and like Andre introduced me to uh, Hank Mobley, and so mm-hmm. now I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. that's what you, what you listen to. In looking into Mister <laughs> Mister Stitt, his real name is Edward Hammond Boatner Jr. Mm-hmm. This motherfucker starting in 1949. Had a hundred and seven albums under his name. He he never said no to a session, and no, that's just a is... band leader. Yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah, that's not sit-ins. Yeah, no, the sit-ins he... are only numbers in like the thirties as a band leader, it, and it, I can't wrap my head around this because <laughs> if you look at this, this is like a Zelig of of <laughs> a, a popular yeah. Zelig though yeah. that everybody seemed to know about except me. Uh, of jazz, who was in and out of all these bands, and just had this like remarkable career. They were in 1973. He's just like basically, uh, he's he was a severe alcoholic and like mm-hmm. makes shit like this because you got to pay the bills. Like he you got gotta, kicked you out of Miles. Da- he got kicked yeah. out of Miles Davis's band because he was a drunk. Yep. How hard do you have to do that? And and so this history, if you go back and look at it, is absolutely just fascinating that this guy has evaded me and i'm hoping that he's evaded the knowledge base of like our listeners because it's such what's been amazing just enjoying this album is first of all would you agree this is from where muzak sprung this is this is uh this tiptoes up to the line of like reckoning for jazz which is when which is the moment that it stopped being good capital yeah. G good and became in fact capital B bad um, and this is right this is sort of living in that twilight this is dancing on that line yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 so uh, you know you mentioned the world is a ghetto uh, mm-hmm. that's a song by war it's so uh, like cheesy smooth it is. you almost don't think it's it's real you don't think he's taking it serious um, when he covers a song like we all know, 
Killing Me Softly with his song, uh, the Roberta Flack song, you uh, like you know the song. You, and it only came out that year, actually. Roberta Flack recorded it in 73, and he's like, well, that's a hit. Yeah, Let's throw right. it on the album. Yeah. But you, you, there's something about it. So I just edited the Wikipedia page to uh, indicate that Lauren Hill was actually influenced by that version. <laughs> I, want, I want everybody to understand this. That I did that. Um, you know, that's that's. Um, I'm really glad you played that. Uh, partly because you get to hear just how well um, Sonny plays the melody. Right? There's mm-hmm. just such an eloquence, and it's just so simple the way he does that. And there's a line in jazz that goes all the way back to like. You know how Ben Webster would play the melody of a song, and um, and Sonny Stitt was just this consummate professional who could just, especially pop, right? For a guy who, who basically grew up um, on uh, Charlie Parker to sort of, uh, you know, he could probably, yeah. uh, you know, with his eyes closed, just sort of shit out the melody of most pop songs without thinking about it. Yeah, um, I think so. It's interesting you mentioned Charlie Parker. Uh, that apparently, like he met Charlie Parker once, and, and a big thing in his career wasn't that like he was just influenced by him. Like, oh, dude, you're totally ripping Charlie Parker off. <laughs> and Charlie Parker uh, uh, is alleged to say this. He said, "Well, I'll be damned. You sound just like me." And Stitt responded, "Well, I can't help the way I sound. It's the only way I know how to play." Huh. And they just went about their day, both being heroin addicts and drunks, and yeah, know, it was like, yeah. and, and there was room for both. Uh, but somebody later, there's a quote. I think it was something like, "If there had not been a bird, there would still be a sunny stit." And you know, none of that is on here. What you hear on here is what you mentioned: the 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 melody when he gets up that picks up that tenor sax. There's something that happens to Stitt's playing. Yeah, yeah, it's just the, so smooth and so elegant. The you know the electric bass and the and the uh, um, and the keys, the electric keys, just really gives mm. it such a such a sort of distinct uh, ambiance. Uh, what's interesting is that 
um, in the little bit we heard, it also highlights like the good and bad of Don Sebesky, which there's a lot of things where like if you dig through crates looking for jazz, first of all, Sonny Stitt is just a name that you loathe to see because you're just like, oh, God, I'm in the S's, right? At some point, I'm going to hit an avalanche of Sonny yeah. Stitt records. Uh, there's another guy who's like that, who's Al Cohn, when you're in the seas and you're like, oh, Coltrane's coming up. God damn it. First, I have to get 40 <laughs> Al Cohn right, 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 uh, right. records. But one of the one of the sort of like uh, uh, the a kiss of death on a record that you're not sure about, like let's say you know a player or two, you check out the date. It's like early '70s, so it might be pre schlock, pre smooth jazz. Mm -hmm. But then you see the words, you know, conducted and arranged by Don Sebesky, and that is the kiss of death. That is the. Man. Uh, Sebesky was sort of like uh, the Paul Manafort. He just kept criming <laughs> all over her recording sessions. <laughs> just... What, in, in your opinion, what is his worst offense? Um, he did some things with Stanley Turrentine that are uh, that are highly, yeah. highly questionable, um, and I would avoid. You heard sort of the steel drums here a little bit, and sort of some extraneous instrumentation on this album. I think it's really uh, noticeable around um, Ben. On the other hand, the way they linger on that sort of little minor chord vamp coming out of the chorus mm -hmm. of Killing Me Softly is interesting and kind of opens up uh, the song to some lines of improvisation that, that you know, you wouldn't necessarily know it from Roberta Flax. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it does. You know, it, it, what's fascinating about any records, especially jazz records around this time, is that they figured out, like, the Beatles have basically just died. Right, mm -hmm. and, and you're, but the, this weird uh, that I get accused of this being just my only wheelhouse, but uh, it's mostly true. But it's Hollow Notes, I think, adopted it a lot. It's just weird. Um, you mentioned like the electric bass uh, and and like Rich Rich Davis, yeah, yeah, and it's just a it's a it's a weird type. Like you hear songs like that, and done with that arrangement and that particular sound, and you expect like at any moment you're going to be watching a Dudley Moore movie, and <laughs> it's just, and it's just like, and, sorry, Arthur yeah. kids, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? It's just like, yes. and there's this weird like to that. It, it is um, uh, the song itself is incredibly like heartbreaking and romantic and stuff. That's romantic in a different way, and in a more like. Well, lotiony way. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to say it right, but it's just it. It feels like you're trying to class it up, and instead you're doing the exact opposite. Right. But there's something about that that both you and I love about this. And I think this this gets into like what, how we appreciate music, why we love that Foxton record so much. Uh huh. That 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 I'm really like interested in, and have always been interested in because. If nine out of ten people would play this too, and listeners uh, are gonna like be listening and hear a track like that, and you're gonna get the frown face, right? That one person is gonna be like, 
oh yeah yeah i'm feeling oh, this yeah. yeah so what's the oh yeah here like what is it i mean this is this is for just so we're clear this is stellar playing Yes. This is not some people fucking around. This is like, this is serious professionals. At this point, he had like 80 albums under his belt. Like, this is not. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? so, so what is it that, about this type of vibe that is people who, like, well, I know one thing that Wes was concerned about was uh, he's a huge jazz head. And he's like, well, everything has to be, and it's not always, I'm generalizing, but everything has to be like pushing stuff forward. And I think that applies to a lot of, uh, our friends, music fans in general, but why can't it just be like, this is well played? Yeah, it took uh, up thirty-two minutes of your time. Well, there's it. it, it it's an interesting commercial artifact, um, mm -hmm. and I think you sort of alluded to the fact that you know part of the reason um, Sonny Stitt kept recording is because he needed to move units because he needed money. Yeah. Um, one of the ways you made money as a jazz musician in the early '70s was you recorded a bunch of famous pop songs. And you presented them in a way that was interesting, but not too challenging. Um, and you did it tastefully. And you did it with the idea that this would be music that people would listen to and enjoy communally um, at gatherings or, mm -hmm. uh, or whatever. And if you did it right, it was almost like, you know, it was almost like the original sort of playlist, right? It's sort of like taking yeah. up, stitching together all these songs, you know, from other places and putting them together under one roof. Yeah, and this is also equatable to uh, I think beach music. Uh, yeah, very much. You know, and same same reason. Like it's meant to be played, and people are going to be playing this, and and some people you laugh at it and be like, "This is basic," but like, I hate to inform people in twenty twenty, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're mostly basic. Yeah, it, it, we are, and and you know, I I understand. I definitely understand Wes's perspective of like. You know, you really want to focus on the things that are moving the ball forward, and this record mm -hmm. is not one of those things. But, you know, I'm thinking of the day that I um, that I finally picked up this uh, this album on vinyl, and it was at um, here at Home Rule Records in, in yeah. Petworth, great great uh, jazz centric record store. Anyway, I had a stack of other things, many of which are sort of more free jazz or things that are conceptually more relevant or that maybe did push boundaries or, or, or move the ball forward. The record that the guy gave me, that the guy checking me out gave me the thumbs up on was, was this one. It was this one. <laughs> yeah, it was not, yeah. you know, uh, it was not an art ensemble. It was not an actual release. Uh, it was not something where like side B is just a sort of uh, weird uh, percussion on the piano with no discernible melody and uh, bizarre chanting. Uh, he, he basically saw this. He was like, oh, shit, yeah, this is a good record. Right, and you wouldn't have that experience if you're picking up, say, uh, and this might happen to somebody, I don't know, Jamie Branch and Pete Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah. You're not going to get the thumbs up <laughs> yeah. on Frampton Comes Alive. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, you know, which is arguably a, a pop masterpiece. It's part, it's part of the culture. You know, yeah. but yeah, it's it, there, there's something about this. Uh, maybe the playing, uh, the skill involved, like legitimizes it. Uh, this isn't all about just doing these covers. Blue Monsoon, mm -hmm. I think, is something, and this is a fascinating uh, track because he sort of plugs into. He grabs this pop stuff over here, and then plugs it into like his own stuff. Yeah. Thank you. 
So you're listening to that impeccable tone, and you're probably thinking to yourself one of two things. Uh, where's my motherfucking car chase? Or <laughs> where's my Cavazier? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I and I'm dead serious. Like that is, yeah. uh, it's just it's a vibe that we associate with the '70s. I think Isaac Hayes more more so than anything. Yep. Uh, the shaft, his work on the shaft and stuff. But um, it, it's so weirdly sp- sp- specific and just fits on this album. And it's just I, it, shit like this blows my mind that. Somebody and maybe this is maybe this is Sebesky atoning for his sins. <laughs> he was like, you know what's going to be pleasing as fuck that everybody, all the kids are going to like it in 2020. It's yeah. like this stuff. Well, 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 this 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 record is a great, um, it, you know, the case for it is that it proves that execution matters, and yeah. and being able to actually you know um, do all the little things and that you can bring in you know a, a really competent group of musicians. And have them just kind of focus in and and tighten up, and and you know create this thing that is that is specific, but that fully delivers what it sets out to do. Because I think if you listen to the beginning of that song and you don't picture like a camera panning, yeah, like under like an overpass or something, yeah. and cars coming by and that car chase you're talking mm-hmm. about, right? Um, a big uh, you know sort of '70s type sedan. Yep. Uh, like that's that is that is what it is, um, and it it's it's familiar, um, but uh, when that sax line comes in, it is just absolutely lethal because it is so smooth. He's he nails his timbre so well. Um, yeah, and and it's something that if you saw that in the middle of like uh, uh what's the, what's the Green Mill? I think is the one up here in Chicago. They're really or jazz estate here in Milwaukee. Uh, you saw that mm-hmm. in the middle of a set, you would just be like, "Fuck, that's funky shit." And to yeah. be clear, like that, this is this has influenced a lot of. Uh, you know, since we're on Osiris, this is influenced. This type of stuff, I think, is what influences a lot of jam bands who do mm-hmm. it poorly. And, and I and, and sort of jazz jam stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of uh, Modesky, Martin, and Wood, which would be you know this a lot of this minus the melody. You know, sure. they, they they forget that like the melody is such an important part of it. Uh, we do a dead podcast with our friend Casey Ray, and the biggest thing about the dead for me is is Garcia's attention to melody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, a, a melody can it doesn't matter how good or bad the song uh, arguably is. A melody can save it. It's why you're hooked on Taylor Swift. It's right. like I can listen to Carly Rae Jepsen and be like, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah this, is, this is fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, do it. You know, and 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 it's stuff. And and I wonder if people pay attention to that, or I hope people are going to pay attention to that more as we go forward uh, in the in the like 2020. And really, instead of uh, trying to nitpick this stuff to death, just like. You hear that line, you are pleased. Yeah, I, I I would say you know if you're if you're listening to this and you're hating all of the music we're playing, then that's fu- like you're not wrong. That's fine. That's your taste. You don't like it. <laughs> well, um, yes, yes. Yeah. If you're if you're uh, if on the other hand you're listening to this and you're thinking like these are all really intriguing sketches and ideas, then I have mm-hmm. really good news for you because 
there's like a vast universe of yeah. uh, jazz like this hiding in vinyl crates. There are several records, uh, uh, sessions led by Eric Kloss or Don Patterson, uh, mm -hmm. who played together a lot. Most of their stuff is not available digitally. Um, and there is, there is a lot of uh, music that will sort of scratch the, the particular itch that this session does for me, which is just sometimes you just want to feel like you're um, in good hands. And that's kind of what yeah. I feel like when I put this record on. I'm just like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. Like, I don't have to, yeah. I don't have to pay attention to the stereo for the next 45 minutes. Like, these guys... You don't, you don't have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. These yeah, guys you, have you, it. You, they have it from yeah, here. Like, I don't need to worry yeah. that they're going to hit a bad note or something or, like, that something weird's going to happen. Like, these guys know what, what to do. Yeah, and if that's basic, I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, I guess, I guess we're basic. I mean, this is, this is meat and potatoes, like, good music that everybody like should have on their playlist. They should have the vinyl. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned like the stacks. Uh, that is one of the thing, and, and I haven't gotten too addicted to this yet, but I know people who are like have this problem and it's a great problem to have. You find all these little records and it doesn't, um, they never, maybe they've never made money. Maybe they made money and, and long, long past people forgot about them. But you put them on, and it's just you can hear stuff devoid of context. Yeah, which is it, which is super fucking important. Like because if you can if if you can get out of your head what you think a thing is gonna be, and then just let it be that thing. Like unless they like I said just fucked up playing, it's gonna be really good. Yeah. Well, that's that's a really that's that's so key what you just said, you know, and it, and and for me at least it's the fun of crate digging. It's like finding mm -hmm. something that um, that I have never heard. Um, I I have a gut feeling about it. Maybe you know you look for signifiers. You know there are, mm -hmm. it might be like a label. It might be that you know one of the people on the session or um, or that something about it strikes you as as familiar. But the point is you're going to get home and put that on, and it's really just about whether you like the music or not you know there are no yeah. uh there are no essays or think pieces about mr bojangles out there no, no. <laughs> you know in fact this, this is probably the only podcast ever about mr bojangles <laughs> right i have to I'll, I'll look on the podcast uh in the podcast yeah. app to see if anyone else has ever covered it but but i think you're right i mean i think you know part of the part of the fun of it is that this is music that was sort of weirdly you know, on the one hand, the guys making it probably thought it was the most important thing they had ever done. On the other hand, mm -hmm. from a commercial standpoint, this is not music that that anyone thought we would be listening to uh, 46 no. years after its release, 47. Um, and yeah, yeah. yet here we are. So, I mean, it's it's been almost 50 years. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 If you can sell like 10,000 of these. To yeah. like the 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 swinger party set, you know? <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like you know, should we, like, oh, should we and Virginia Slims for all? Y yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, put it on your uh, console stereo and like, oh, this is Sonny Stid. How about that? Uh, yeah, pass the cocaine. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's stuff like that, and, and it and it reinforces for me the, the purpose of all music, and and all music isn't. Uh, it it doesn't have to be everything. That's not the point of music, um, and and we have when we here have even tried to, we've gone down that path unfortunately for a while, and it's just, it can be just this one very small thing, and the joy of of listening to music should be about finding out all about that one very small thing. 
because these things all add up. Absolutely. Right? I mean, yeah. for you and me, this is an essential album. Uh, it just like our 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 aesthetics, whatever it fits that. But it's also like a bonding thing. Like as friends, we can be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, right. You know, and and you can even have a shitty album. I mean, uh, well, look, I did this with Third Stage. Come on, like that, that, that's, you <laughs> right. know, this is this is this is you know, Sonny Stitt's Third Stage, um, and. <laughs> And you find those things, and you keep digging into them, and you find like the good in it. Uh, and then, if you don't, honestly, you can pick this up anywhere for like three bucks, if yeah, you can find. This it. is this and, is this is and, easy to find. Yeah, and if you don't like it, take it, like, put it back into circulation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Set it, it is streaming. Yeah. It, it is streaming for now, and I was surprised right. about that, right? Uh, because I think for a while it wasn't, but it is it is streaming for now. But it is. Uh, you know, I have uh, my jazz records in one place, and my rock records in one place, and my country records in one place. But I have a little shelf, right, in the built-in that we have here. And on that shelf is stuff that is just like it's gonna get played. And that album has not left that shelf for the past year and a <laughs> yeah. half. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, you know, I think we just explain why it's there, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but but it, it's it, it's. It's things like that that are uh, why we started doing the show, why we continue to do it, at least for now, I do it. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I just – I want more of this, man. Yeah. I want more of this all day long. I hope, I hope someone out there has, has never heard this album and is now really inclined to go out and check it out. Um, yeah. And that and, – and, again, that, that can open up. You know, you can park there. You can just say Mr. Bojangles is great and I'm going to be part of the – the specific Sonny Stitt, uh, Mr. Bojangles fan club, and that's all yeah. I care to dig into. Um, or you can you can hit me up, Eduardo, at chunkyglasses.com, and I will send yeah. you a bunch of recommendations for things you should try to find on vinyl that you're not going to find digitally that are that are just yeah, fantastic. you should do that. You should. I might do that. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> we bought a house. I got to cut cut off my vinyl. Uh, thanks for hanging out, Eduardo. And then we are gonna come back and finish this thing out without you. Here's fifty percent from Sunny Stitt off the best jazz album of all time, right? <laughs> Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> all right. Later. Sonny Stitt's Mr. Bojangles is available everywhere you can buy fine records and has been since 1973. Kids, I hope you uh, enjoyed that. I hope, I, I honestly, I hope you had ne- not heard that album and we introduced you to that. And then I hope you take that album and go forward and make your life better with it. Or not. At the very least, if you heard that and that wasn't your thing, but then you think like, shit, I really loved Aha's second album, then celebrate that. And share that with your friends. 
and then the world will be a better place. That's what we're going to do this season. We're, like I said, we're going to be getting into some bigger releases coming up in the next few weeks. Actually, we're talking about Bonnie Light Horseman. We're talking about our friends in Future Birds. They have a new album out called Teamwork. We're going to be talking about the new Drive-By Truckers album. We're going to be talking about the And You Shall Know Us by the Trail of Dead album. Uh, this is all just in January. I think we're going to be talking about Phil Collins. We might be talking about Peter Gabriel. It's They're just sort of trying to get some good out there in a world that desperately needs it and this is the only way we know how so so do that the only way you know how maybe it's just by listening to this and that's cool we appreciate that and with that we are out of here for this episode if you like what you heard tell all your friends subscribe to us on all these socials it's at chunky glasses because it's an at chunky glasses production uh go there you're gonna see that all the episodes of Discologist. You're also going to see uh, all our live coverage headed up by Mauricio Castro in Washington, D.C. You're going to see me getting out here in Milwaukee uh, a little more this year. Might be hopefully putting on some shows at a place by my house, but we'll we'll tell you about that later. We will be back next Thursday. Our new schedule, by the way, is going to be we're going to be definitely you're going to hear from us every Thursday. Uh, albums come out on Friday, so we want to get you informed if it's an album that's coming out and whatnot. Uh, but as we get busier and as the season picks up, uh, don't be surprised to see like two episodes, maybe even three episodes a week from time to time, all as we race towards episode 500. Uh, so that is it. We are out of here. We will talk to you in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!